0: Chapters twenty five and twenty six of Beautiful Joe This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. This reading by Alison Hester of Athens, Georgia. Beautiful Joe By Marshall Saunders Chapter twenty five A Happy Horse for a good while after i went to dingley farm i was very shy of the horses for i was afraid they might kick me thinking that i was a bad dog like bruno however they all had such good faces and looked at me so kindly that i was beginning to get over my fear of them fleetfoot mr harry's colt was my favorite And one afternoon, when Mr. Harry and Miss Laura were going out to see him, I followed them. Fleetfoot was amusing himself by rolling over and over on the grass under a tree. But when he saw Mr. Harry, he gave a shrill whinny, and running to him, began nosing about his pockets. Wait a bit, said Mr. Harry, holding him by the forelock let me introduce you to this young lady miss laura morris i want you to make her a bow he gave the colt some sign and immediately he began to paw the ground and shake his head mr harry laughed and went on here is her dog joe i want you to like him too come here joe i was not at all afraid For I knew Mr. Harry would not let him hurt me, so I stood in front of him, and for the first time, had a good look at him. They called him the colt, but he was really a full-grown horse, and had already been put to work. He was of a dark, chestnut color, and had a well-shaped body and a long, handsome head. And I never saw, in the head of a man or beast, a more beautiful pair of eyes than that colt had. Large, full, brown eyes they were that he turned on me almost as a person would. He looked me all over as if to say... "'Are you a good dog, and will you treat me kindly? "'Or are you a bad one like Bruno, "'and will you chase me and snap at my heels and worry me "'so that I shall want to kick you?' "'I looked at him very earnestly and wagged my body "'and lifted myself on my hind legs toward him. "'He seemed pleased and put down his nose to sniff at me, "'and then we were friends.' friends and such good friends for next to jim and billy i have loved fleetfoot mr harry pulled some lumps of sugar out of his pocket and giving them to miss laura told her to put them on the palm of her hand and hold it out flat toward fleetfoot The colt ate the sugar and all the time eyed her with his quiet, observing glance that made her exclaim, ''What a wise-looking colt!'' ''He is like an old horse,'' said Mr. Harry. When he hears a sudden noise, he stops and looks all about him to find an explanation. ''He has been well trained,'' said Miss Laura. ''I have brought him up carefully.'' said mr harry really he has been treated more like a dog than a colt he follows me about the farm and smells everything i handle and seems to want to know the reason of things your mother says replied miss laura that she found you both asleep on the lawn one day last summer and the colt's head was on your arm "'Mr. Harry smiled and threw his arm over the colt's neck. "'We've been comrades, haven't we, Fleetfoot? "'I've been almost ashamed of his devotion. "'He has followed me to the village, "'and he always wants to go fishing with me. "'He's four years old now, "'so he ought to get over those coltish ways. "'I've driven him a good deal. "'We're going out in the buggy this afternoon. "'Will you come?' "'Where are you going?' asked Miss Laura just for a short drive back of the river to collect some money for father I'll be home long before tea time yes I should like to go said Miss Laura I will go to the house and get my hat come on Fleetfoot said Mr. Harry and he led the way from the pasture the colt following behind me I waited about the veranda, and in a short time, Mr. Harry drove up to the front door. The buggy was black and shining, and Fleetfoot had on a silver-mounted harness that made him look very fine. He stood gently switching his long tail to keep the flies away, and with his head turned to see who was going to get into the buggy. I stood by him, and as soon as he saw that Miss Laura and Mr. Harry had seated themselves, he acted as if he wanted to be off. Mr. Harry spoke to him, and away he went, I racing down the lane by his side, so happy to think he was my friend. He liked having me beside him, and every few seconds put down his head toward me. Animals can tell each other things without saying a word. When Fleetfoot gave his head a little toss in a certain way, I knew that he wanted to have a race. He had a beautiful even gait and went very swiftly. Mr. Harry kept speaking to him to check him. You don't like him to go too fast, do you? Said Miss Laura. No he returned. "'I think we could make a racer of him if we liked, but father and I don't go in for fast horses. There is too much said about fast trotters and race horses. On some of the farms around here, the people have gone mad on breeding fast horses. An old farmer out in the country had a common cart horse that he suddenly found out had great powers of speed and endurance. He sold him to a speculator for a big price and it has set everybody wild. If the people who give all their time to it can't raise fast horses, I don't see how the farmers can. A fast horse on a farm is a ruination to the boys, for it starts them racing and betting. Father says he is going to offer a prize for the fastest walker that can be bred in New Hampshire. That Dutchman of ours, heavy as he is, is a fair walker, and Cleve and pacer can each walk four and a half miles an hour. Why do you lay such stress on their walking fast? Asked Miss Laura. Because so much of the farm work must be done at a walk, plowing, teaming, and drawing produce to the market, and going up and down hills. Even for the cities, it is good to have fast walkers. Trotting on city pavements is very hard on the dray horses. If they are allowed to go at a quick walk, their legs will keep strong much longer. It is shameful the way horses are used up in big cities. Our pavements are so bad that cab horses are used up in three years. In many ways, we are a great deal better off in this new country than the people in Europe, but we are not in respect of cab horses, for in London and Paris, they last five years. I have seen horses drop down dead in New York just from hard usage. Poor brutes! There is a better time coming for them, though. When electricity is more fully developed, we'll see some wonderful changes. As it is, last year, in different places, about 30,000 horses were released from those abominable horse cars by having electricity introduced on the roads. Well, Fleetfoot, do you want another spin? All right, my boy, go ahead. Away we went again along a bit of level road fleetfoot had no check rein on his beautiful neck and when he trotted he could hold his head in an easy natural position with his wonderful eyes and flowing mane and tail and his glossy reddish-brown body i thought he was the handsomest horse i had ever seen he loved to go fast and when mr harry spoke to him to slow up again he tossed his head with impatience but he was too sweet-tempered to disobey in all the years i have known fleetfoot i have never once seen him refuse to do as his master told him you have forgotten your whip haven't you harry i heard miss laura say as we jogged slowly along and i ran by the buggy panting and with my tongue hanging out i never use one said mr harry if i saw any man lay one on fleetfoot i'd knock him down his voice was so severe that i glanced up into the buggy He looked just as he did the day that he stretched Jenkins on the ground and gave him a beating. "'I am so glad you don't,' said Miss Laura. "'You are like the Russians. Many of them control their horses by their voices and call them such pretty names. But you have to use a whip for some horses, don't you, Cousin Harry?' "'Yes, Laura, there are many vicious horses that can't be controlled otherwise. "'And then, with many horses, one requires a whip in case of necessity for urging them forward. "'I suppose Fleetfoot never balks,' said Miss Laura. "'No,' replied Mr. Harry. "'Dutchman does sometimes, and we have two cures for him, both equally good.' we take up a forefoot and strike his shoe two or three times with a stone the operation always interests him greatly and he usually starts if he doesn't go for that we pass a line around his forelegs at the knee joint then go in front of him and draw on the line father won't let the men use a whip unless they are driven to it fleetfoot has had a happy life hasn't he said miss laura looking admiringly at him How did he get to like you so much, Harry? I broke him in after a fashion of my own. Father gave him to me, and the first time I saw him on his feet, I went up carefully and put my hands on him. His mother was rather shy of me, for we hadn't had her long, and it made him shy too, so I soon left him. The next time I stroked him, the next time I put my arm around him, Soon he acted like a big dog. I could lead him about a strap, and I made a little halter and bridle for him. I didn't see why I shouldn't train him a little while he was young and manageable. I think it is cruel to let colts run till one has to employ severity in mastering them. Of course, I did not let him do much work. Colts are like boys. A boy shouldn't do a man's work. But he had exercised every day, and I trained him to draw a light cart behind him. I used to do all kinds of things to accustom him to unusual sounds. Father talked a good deal to me about Reary, the great horse tamer, and it put ideas into my head. He said he once saw Reary come on stage in Boston with a timid horse that he was going to accustom to a loud noise. First, a bugle was blown, then some louder instrument, and so on, till there was a whole brass band going. Rary reassured the animal, and it was not afraid. "'You like horses better than any other animals, don't you, Harry?' asked Miss Laura. "'I believe I do, though I am very fond of that dog of yours. I think I know more about horses than dogs. Have you noticed Scamp very much?' Oh yes, I often watch her. She is such an amusing little creature. She's the most interesting one we've got. That is, after Fleetfoot. Father got her from a man who couldn't manage her and she came to us with a legion of bad tricks. Father has taken solid comfort though in breaking her of them. She is his pet among our stock. I suppose you know that horses more than any other animals are creatures of habit. If they do a thing once, they will do it again. When she came to us, she had a trick of biting at a person who gave her oats. She would do this without fail, so father put a little stick under his arm, and every time she would bite, he would give her a rap over the nose. She soon got tired of biting and gave it up. Sometimes now you'll see her make a snap at father, as if she was going to bite, and then look under his arm to see if the stick is there. He cured some of her tricks in one way and some in another. One bad one she has was to start for the stable the minute one of the traces was unfastened when we were unharnessing. She pulled father over once, and another time she ran the shaft of the sulky clean through the barn door. The next time father brought her in, he got ready for her. He twisted the lines around his hands, and the minute she began to bolt, he gave a tremendous jerk that pulled her back upon her haunches, and shouted, Whoa! It cured her, and she never started again, till he gave her the word. Often now, you'll see her throw her head back when she is being unhitched. He only did it once, yet she remembers. If we'd had the training of scamp, she'd be a very different animal. It's nearly all in the bringing up of a colt whether it will turn out vicious or gentle. If any one were to strike Fleetfoot, he would not know what it meant. He has been brought up differently from scamp. She was probably trained by some brutal man who inspired her with the distrust of the human species. She never bites an animal and seems attached to all the other horses. She loves Fleetfoot and cleave and pacer. Those three are her favorites i love to go for drives with Cleveland and Pacer,' said Miss Laura. "'They are so steady and good. "'Uncle says they are the most trusty horses he has. "'He has told me about the man you had "'who said those two horses knew more than most humans.'" "'That was old David's,' said Mr. Harry. "'When we had him, he was courting a widow who lived over in Hoytville.'" About once a fortnight, he'd ask her father for one of the horses to go over and see her. He always stayed pretty late, and on the way home he'd tie the reins to the whip stock and go to sleep, and never wake up till Cleve or Pacer, whichever one he happened to have, would draw up in the barnyard. They would pass any rigs they happened to meet and turn out a little for a man. If Davids wasn't asleep, he could always tell by the difference in their gait which they were passing. They'd go quickly past a man, and much slower, with more of a turnout, if it was a team. But I dare say, Father told you this. He has a great stock of horse stories, and I'm almost as bad. You will have to cry, Halt, when we bore you. You never do, replied Miss Laura. I love to talk about animals. I think the best story about Cleve and Pacer is the one that Uncle told me last evening. I don't think you were there. It was about stealing the oats. Cleve and Pacer never steal, said Mr. Harry. Don't you mean Scamp? She's the thief. No, it was Pacer that stole. He got out of his box, Uncle says, and found two bags of oats and he took one in his teeth and dropped it before Cleve, and ate the other himself and uncle was so amused that he let them eat a long time and stood and watched them that was a clever trick said mr harry father must have forgotten to tell me those two horses have been mates ever since i can remember and i believe if they were separated they'd pine away and die You have noticed how low the partitions are between the boxes and the horse stable. Father says you wouldn't put a lot of people in separate boxes in a room where they couldn't see each other and horses are just as fond of company as we are. Cleve and Pacer are always nosing each other. A horse has a long memory. Father has had horses recognize him that he has been parted from for 20 years. Speaking of their memories reminds me of another good story about Pacer that I never heard till yesterday, and that I would not talk about to anyone but you and mother. Father wouldn't write me about it, for he will never put a line on paper where anyone's reputation is concerned. End of chapter 25, A Happy Horse Chapter 26, The Box of Money This story, said Mr. Harry, is about one of the hired men we had last winter, whose name was Jacobs. He was a cunning fellow with a hang-dog look, and a great cleverness at stealing farm produce from Father on the sly, and selling it. Father knew perfectly well what he was doing, and was wondering what would be the best way to deal with him, when one day, something happened that brought matters to a climax. Father had to go to Sudbury for farming tools and took Pacer and the Cutter. There are two ways of going there, one the Sudbury Road and the other the old Post Road, which is longer and seldom used. On this occasion, Father took the Post Road. The snow wasn't deep and he wanted to inquire after an old man who had been robbed and half-frightened to death a few days before. He was a miserable old creature known as Miser Gerald, and he lived alone with his daughter. He had saved a little money that he kept in a box under his bed. When father got near the place, he was astonished to see by Pacer's actions that he had been on this road before and recently too. Father is so sharp about horses that they never do a thing that he doesn't attach meaning to. So he let the reins hang a little loose and kept his eye on Pacer. The horse went along the road, and seeing Father didn't direct him, turned into the lane leading to the house. There was an old red gate at the end of it, and he stopped in front of it and waited for Father to get out. Then he passed through, and instead of going up to the house, turned around and stood with his head toward the road. Father never said a word, but he was doing a lot of thinking. He went into the house and found the old man sitting over the fire, rubbing his hands, and half crying about the few poor dollars that he said he had stolen from him. Father had never seen him before, but he knew he had the name of being half silly, and questioned him as much as he liked. He could make nothing of him. The daughter said that they had gone to bed at dark, the night her father was robbed, she slept upstairs and he down below about ten o'clock she heard him scream and running down the stairs she found him sitting up in bed and the window wide open he said a man had sprung in upon him stuffed the bedclothes into his mouth and dragging his box from under the bed had made off with it she ran to the door and looked out but there was no one to be seen It was dark and snowing a little, so no traces of footsteps were to be perceived in the morning. Father found that the neighbors were dropping in to bear the old man company, so he drove on to Sudbury and then returned home. When he got back, he said Jacobs was hanging around the stable in a nervous kind of way and said he wanted to speak to him. Father said, Very good, but put the horse in first jacobs unhitched and father sat on one of the stable benches and watched him till he came lounging along with a straw in his mouth and said he'd made up his mind to go west and he'd like to set off at once Father said again, very good, but first he had a little account to settle with him, and he took out of his pocket a paper, where he had jotted down, as far as he could, every quart of oats, and every bag of grain, and every quarter of a dollar of market money that Jacobs had defrauded him of. Father said the fellow turned all the colors of the rainbow, for he thought he had covered up his tracks so cleverly that he would never be found out then father said sit down jacobs for i have got to have a long talk with you he had him there about an hour and when he finished the fellow was completely broken down father told him there were just two courses in life for a young man to take and he had gotten on the wrong one he was a young smart fellow and if he turned around right now there was a chance for him If he didn't, there was nothing but the state's prison ahead of him, for he needn't think he was going to gull and cheat all the world and never be found out. Father said he'd give him all the help in his power, if he had his word that he'd try to be an honest man. Then he tore up the paper and said there was an end of his indebtedness to him. Jacobs is only a young fellow, 23 or thereabout, and father says he sobbed like a baby then without looking at him father gave an account of his afternoon's drive just as if he was talking to himself he said that pacer never to his knowledge had been on that road before and yet he seemed perfectly familiar with it and that he stopped and turned already to leave again quickly instead of going up to the door and how he looked over his shoulder and started on a run down the lane the minute father's foot was in the cutter again In the course of his remarks, Father mentioned the fact that on Monday, the evening that the robbery was committed, Jacobs had borrowed Pacer to go to the junction, but had come in with the horse steaming and looking as if he had been driven a much longer distance than that. Father said that when he got done, Jacobs had sunk down all in a heap on the stable floor with his hands over his face. Father left him to have it out with himself, and went to the house the next morning jacobs looked the same as usual and went about with the other men doing his work but saying nothing about going west late in the afternoon a farmer going by hailed father and asked if he had heard the news old miser gerald's box had been left on his doorstep some time through the night and he found it in the morning the money was all there but the old fellow was so cute that he wouldn't tell anyone how much it was the neighbors had persuaded him to bank it and he was coming to town the next morning with it and that night some of them were going to help him mount guard over it father told the men at milking time and he said jacobs looked as unconscious as possible however from that day there was a change in him he never told father in so many words that he'd resolved to be an honest man but his actions spoke for him he had been a kind of sullen unwilling fellow but now he turned handy and obliging and it was a real trial to father to part with him miss laura was intensely interested in this story where is he now cousin harry she asked eagerly what became of him Mr. Harry laughed in such an amusement that I stared up at him, and even Fleetfoot turned his head around to see what the joke was. We were going very slowly up a long, steep hill, and in the clear, still air, we could hear every word spoken in the buggy. "'The last part of the story is the best, to my mind,' said Mr. Harry, "'and as romantic as even a girl could desire.' the affair of the stolen box was much talked about along sudbury way and miss gerald got to be considered quite a desirable young person among some of the youth near there though she is a frowsy headed creature and not as neat in her personal attire as a young girl should be among her suitors was jacobs he cut out a blacksmith and a painter, and several young farmers, and father said he never in his life had such a time to keep a straight face, as when Jacobs came to him this spring, and said he was going to marry old miser Gerald's daughter. He wanted to quit father's employ, and he thanked him in a real manly way for the manner in which he'd always treated him. Well, Jacobs left, and mother says that father would sit and speculate about him. As to whether he had fallen in love with Eliza Gerald, or whether he was determined to regain possession of the box and was going to do it honestly, or whether he was sorry for having frightened the old man into a greater degree of imbecility and was marrying the girl so that he could take care of him, or whether it was something else, and so on, and so on. He had a dozen theories, and then Mother says he would burst out laughing and say it was one of the cutest tricks he had ever heard of. In the end, Jacobs got married, and father and mother went to the wedding. Father gave the bridegroom a yoke of oxen, and mother gave the bride a lot of household linen, and I believe they're as happy as the day is long. Jacobs makes his wife comb her hair, and he waits on the old man as if he was his son, and he is improving the farm that was going to rack and ruin, and I hear he is going to build a new house. "'Harry!' exclaimed Miss Laura. Can't you take me to see them?" Yes, indeed. Mother often drives over to take them little things, and we will go, too, sometime. I'd like to see Jacobs myself, now that he is a decent fellow. Strange to say, though he hadn't the best of character, no one has ever suspected him of the robbery, and he's been cunning enough never to say a word about it. Father says Jacobs is like all the rest of us, there's a mixture of good and evil in him, "'and sometimes one predominates, and sometimes the other. "'But we must get on and not talk here all day. "'Get up, Fleetfoot!' "'Where did you say we were going?' asked Miss Laura "'as we crossed over the bridge to the river. "'A little way back here in the woods,' he replied. "'There's an Englishman on a small clearing that he calls Penhollow. "'Father loaned him some money three years ago, "'and he won't pay either interest or principal.' "'I think I've heard of him,' said Miss Laura. "'Isn't he the man whom the boys call Lord Chesterfield?' "'The same one. He's a queer specimen of a man. Father has always stood up for him. He has a great liking for the English. He says we ought to be as ready to help an Englishman as an American, for we spring from common stock.' "'Oh, not Englishmen only,' said Miss Laura warmly. "'Chinamen?' And Negroes, and everybody, there ought to be a brotherhood of nations, Harry. Yes, Miss Enthusiasm, I suppose there ought to be. And looking up, I could see that Mr. Harry was gazing admiringly into his cousin's face. Please tell me some more about the Englishman, said Miss Laura. There isn't much to tell. He lives alone. "'only coming occasionally to the village for supplies. "'And though he is poorer than poverty, "'he despises every soul within a ten-mile radius of him "'and looks upon us as no better "'than an order of thrifty, well-trained lower animals.' "'Why is that?' asked Miss Laura in surprise. "'He is a gentleman, Laura, and we are only common people. "'My father can't hand a lady in and out of a carriage "'as Lord Chesterfield can, nor can he make so grand a bow. Nor does he put on evening dress for a late dinner, and we never go to the opera, nor to the theater, and know nothing of polite society. Nor can we tell exactly whom our great-great-grandfather sprang from. I tell you, there is a gulf between us and that Englishman, wider than the one young Cortisus leaped into. Miss Laura was laughing merrily. How funny that sounds, Harry. So he despises you and she glanced at her good-looking cousin in his handsome buggy and well-kept horse and then burst into another merry peal of laughter mr harry laughed too it does seem absurd sometimes when i pass him jogging along to town in his rickety old cart and look at his pale cruel face and know that he is a broken-down gambler and a man of the world and yet considers himself infinitely superior to me a young man in the prime of life with a good constitution and happy prospects it makes me turn away to hide a smile By this time we had left the river and the meadows far behind us and we were passing through a thick wood the road was narrow and very broken and fleetfoot was obliged to pick his way carefully why does the englishman live in this out of the way place if he is so fond of city life asked miss laura i don't know said mr harry father is afraid that he has committed some misdeed and is in hiding, but we say nothing about it. We have not seen him for some weeks, and to tell the truth, this trip is as much to see what has become of him as to make a demand upon him for the money. As he lives alone, he might lie there ill, and no one would know anything about it. The last time that we knew of his coming to the village was to draw quite a sum of money from the bank, it annoyed Father, for he said he might take some of it to pay his debts. I think his relatives in England supply him with funds. Here we are, at the entrance to the mansion of Penhollow. I must get out and open the gate that will admit us to the winding avenue. We had arrived in front of some bars which were laid across an opening in the snake fence that ran along one side of the road. I sat down and looked about it was a strange lonely place the trees almost met overhead and it was very dim and quiet the sun could only send little straggling beams through the branches there was a muddy pool of water before the bars that mr harry was letting down and he got his feet wet in it confound that englishman he said, backing out of the water and wiping his boots on the grass. He hasn't even the gumption enough to throw down a load of stone there. Drive in, Laura, and I'll put up the bars. Fleetfoot took us through the opening, and then Mr. Harry jumped into the buggy and took up the reins again. We had to go very slowly up a narrow, rough road. The bushes scratched and scraped against the buggy, and Mr. Harry looked very much annoyed. "'No man liveth to himself,' said Miss Laura softly. "'This man's carelessness is giving you trouble. Why doesn't he cut these branches that overhang the road?' "'He can't do it because his abominable laziness won't let him,' said Mr. Harry.' i'd like to be behind him for a week and i'd make him step a little faster we have arrived at last thank goodness there was a small grass clearing in the midst of the woods chips and bits of wood were littered about and across the clearing was a roughly built house of unpainted boards the front door was propped open by a stick some of the panes of glass in the windows were broken and the whole house had a melancholy dilapidated look i thought that i had never seen such a sad looking place it seems as if there was no one about said mr harry with a puzzled face baron must be away will you hold fleetfoot laura while i go in and see he drew the buggy up near a small log building that had evidently been used for a stable and i lay down beside it and watched miss laura End of chapter twenty six the box of money